0: Hello, I'm Muriel, and I love true crime.
1: I'm Nick, and I am not a fan.
0: Thank you for joining us. Each week, I force Nick to listen to me tell him a story of a true crime. Welcome to Muriel's Murders. This
1: week... Muriel's Murders gets a little experimental. First, I'm taking over the hosting duties, so it's already a wildcard event. But secondly, (laughs) my main source material was written by the famous true crime journalist Dorothy Kilgallen. Good job. I think that's how you say it. There's going to be a lot of pronouncings of names and places in this place. So everyone just get, just strap in for that. Anyways, Dorothy Kilgallen's blockbuster piece, Hooch's Horse and Homicide, was so good. She inspired me to get a little creative with how I tell this story today. Okay?
0: Wow. I don't know what it's going to be. You don't? Well, okay. I think I know a little bit. Okay. It was because- supposed to be a big surprise. Yes. But the problem is, is that you're. All your email is logged into my devices so I can... uh...
1: (laughs) Yeah, so this little
0: artistic (laughs) experiment
1: was supposed to be a total surprise for Muriel. I'm pretty sure you know what it is I don't okay. I
0: don't really I know I saw an email that had a headline next uh-huh. time just write a headline that says Muriel don't look in <laughs> big gaps yeah and then I won't look at all it.
1: right well author Dorothy Kilgallen has amazing first person interactions with some of the characters in this story and she was present for the entire trial so her writing is full of amazing quotes so to honor her writing my idea was to ask a few <laughs> voiceover actor friends of ours to record some some dramatic reenactments of the real quotes from the real people involved.
0: So I didn't know that. I thought that maybe you had written, written this whole episode in script form. So this idea is really good. Okay, I was thinking you were going to dramatically act it out
1: with Randy. And I was like,
0: well, this is going to be really funny.
1: Well, Randy is uh, involved. So is Christopher Corbin, Becky Poole, Megan Parks, and Lindsay Barrow. Oh, my God. Yes. This week, I bring you the story of Eva Koo with the help of some of our most talented comedian actor homies in the world. Okay, Eva Koo is an upstate New York woman who owned an operated a brothel and speakeasy through the Roaring Twenties and into the Great Depression until her death in 1935. Eva cared for and supported the downtrodden. She served the rich and powerful. Her nickname was Little Eva because she was big. She loved insurance policies and she owned a heavy wooden mallet.
0: Wow! That's scary already. Yeah, yeah,
1: this is gonna be a good one. (laughs) Nick! Do you have a butt? If you do, you might want to hold on
0: oh my god (laughs) you are so sassy I cannot believe you put this together with all these different people. I I saw one email Uh and the email was to our friend Randy and it said, uh, podcast script. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) uh, very clever. Uh, Shout
1: out to all our friends who I just like didn't communicate very effectively with. I usually take great pride in not wasting people's time, but there was a couple of mishaps. So shout out to both Lindsay and Megan who didn't record the part I asked them to and then recorded the wrong part because of the way I asked them. It was all my fault. It was a mess.
0: Well, I can't wait for this hot mess to be all over my face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we get started, I want to thank very much Tim M. Yes. He edited his monthly Patreon pledge for us. And boy, you know we love you. So thank you. That's very generous and you're the best. Uh, Also, if you like doing things like supporting independent podcasters yeah patreon's a great way to do it if you don't have any bones that's fine bones is money if you don't have <laughs> that that's fine just write us a review on itunes <laughs> Hell yeah, we're thirsty for something right yeah right uh, give it to us but if you like patreon we've got over 20 episodes on that. We yeah. release at, at least two every month. We just released a non-true crime podcast on there. Yeah, We went uh, to go see a women's soccer game, and it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. <laughs> uh, and it, they yeah. had free food in an open bar. <laughs> so uh, we talk a little bit about that. It, it was a very fun experience. We talk yeah. a little bit about Alone, the TV show that is my favorite TV show on television, blah, 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 come hang out with us. We're fun.
1: Patreon.com slash Muriel's right. Murders. Thank you very, very much, Nick. Yes.
0: And yeah. if you like episodes hosted by Nick, there's like a three-parter on there that is
1: really fun. So Right. Well, then there's also the original one I first did. And then that one when we were trapped in Mexico and we were both out of our minds and you oh, were yeah. like, you have to do the episode. Oh, yeah. And that one was a hit. People really liked that one.
0: That was... I was pretty sassy in
1: that one <laughs> no, i was having an attitude problem uh, <laughs> might have been a little intoxication it was uh <laughs> anyways check us out on patreon we love you
0: all right so i guess uh-huh. this is going to be a true story involving murder violence drugs adult themes etc so many listeners are like nick yep and they don't want to hear about those kind of things <laughs> turn us off man we don't care get out of here (laughs) all right that's right (laughs)
1: uh also we're gonna be joking and cursing so if you don't want to hear that then um like pop open a can of sparkling water and put your ear up to that until the fizzles go away that'd be a fun thing to listen to instead of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) you know little
0: asmr who made (laughs) asmr yes ma'am all right nikki yeah Are you ready to tell me this story? No! Okay, let's get started. June 27th, 1935.
1: 46-year-old Eva Koo sits in her cell on death row at New York's infamous Sing Sing Correctional Facility. Ooh. She's knitting fancy handkerchiefs for the prison She's knitting <laughs> fancy handkerchiefs for the prison matrons, the women who have been her emotional support system, her companions while she awaits execution. Eva's always been a jokester. Recently when a reporter asked her if she'd had any visitors, Eva replied my friends say they can't get in to see me a sing-sing, but I didn't have any trouble getting in. <laughs> Today, she knits and she waits for Governor Herbert Lehman to grant her clemency and save her from the electric chair. Ooh. But Eva is fooling herself. Governor Lehman had been under considerable political pressure less than a year ago to spare the life of Anna Antonio. Anna was a mother who, after 12 years of being battered, hired a killer to murder her abusive husband and had been sentenced to death. The governor had not saved Anna, and now Eva was sitting in the exact same cell Anna had spent her last days in.
0: And I'm guessing she was way more of an asshole, right?
1: Who? Who? Eva, Eva then Anna yeah man let me paint this portrait okay sorry I can tell you who's an asshole we, do we need to start throwing labels around no,
0: don't be cursing on our podcast you're
2: the one who said it
1: <laughs> I wrote this fool I didn't put a single curse word on, on the page that's all you okay here we go Eva or Ava depending on how certain voiceover actors later pronounce her name Eva or Ava doesn't matter Eva orders her last meal toast and tea She takes a bite but doesn't finish. I don't want to eat, she tells the matrons. It's bad for my figure. I'm on a diet. The electric chair at Sing Sing is known as Old Sparky, and Eva Koo will be the 279th person put to death by executioner Robert G. Elliott. Even though Eva was found guilty of first-degree murder of her friend Harry Wright, a hapless crippled who had become dependent on Eva, and the motive had been a lousy life insurance payout, Executioner Elliot only had nice things to say about the murderess. Throughout her imprisonment, Eva remained good-natured and cheerful. She had a pleasant word for everybody. Consequently, she was liked by those who came in contact with her. When I arrived, gloom was everywhere I went. Nearly everyone I met was hopeful that the governor would intervene. But intervene the governor did not.
0: Is that a... Is that a quote from her or you? That was a quote from. Oh, I thought you were playing. No, that was a quote
1: from Executioner Elliot.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Throughout her imprisonment. (laughs) Yeah, throughout her imprisonment, I thought thought you were talking about.
1: What the author? No, she inspired me to write, so I wrote a thing. Okay, okay,
0: (laughs) okay. (laughs) God.
1: Just let me get through my incredibly well-written thing. Okay. Okay, Okay. so the executioner saying everyone was hopeful the governor would intervene, but intervene the governor did not. (laughs) After all, Eva Koo had brutally murdered her defenseless friend. Harry Wright had been beaten in the head with a mallet and then ran over by a car. What? Twice.
0: Oh, my God.
1: As Eva is pulled out of her cell and marched down the row of cells. That's a weird sentence. As Eva is pulled out of her cell and marched down death row, she says goodbye to her friend Leonard Skernichi another death row inmate who is scheduled to meet old Sparky directly after Eva.
0: Oh, so it's men and women mixed on death row. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Scarnici was a spree killer and murder for hire hitman who claimed responsibility for killing 12 men and had been in and out of prison. Most of his life executioner, Elliot called Scarnici quote, one of the toughest criminals I have ever seen. As Eva passes by, she says to Scarnici bye Lenny keep your chin up eva the killer yells back at the end of the death row corridor in sing sing is a green door here's a quote from an uncredited inmate quote, just beyond the green door there's the chair looking almost as ugly empty as it will look later to your left a row of witnesses newspaper people police prison officials straight ahead the chair weird
0: that it's a green door because isn't that like the speakeasy thing yeah
1: i was thinking the same thing yeah 10 days after her 46th birthday and 30 pounds lighter than when she entered death row eva Koo is strapped into old sparky 34 witnesses watch the weeping matrons say goodbye to eva and 34 witnesses hear her last earthly words clearly directed at the matrons you've been good to me goodbye darlings 34 witnesses what I have a question. Yeah,
0: what exactly is a matron in this? I context? can't really
1: tell. I think they're just like they help the women on death row with like, like I think, bathe and just watch them. So it's just not like the men guards doing. They're not guards.
0: They're not guards. They're
1: not guards, but they have authority and they're they're not like female prison guards.
0: Okay. That's such an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: 34 witnesses watch Eva wince as the headpiece is put in place and a mask covers her. And 34 witnesses watch the matrons leave the room. Only Eva's nose is visible as executioner Elliot turns the dial and sends 3000 volts through her body. He turns the dial twice more and Eva Koo is pronounced dead. She is unstrapped from old Sparky and put on a gurney. As soon as her body leaves a room, Leonard Scarnici, the spree killer, is escorted in. 34 souls bear witness to Scarnici's last words. All I want to say to those double-crossers up in Albany is that I'm a better man than they are. This was a very busy day for prison warden of Sing Sing, Louis Laws, a seasoned veteran of such things. But Eva Koo and Leonard Scarnici's crimes, trials, and executions were national headline-making sensations and press was everywhere. Breaking Protocol warden laws makes a statement to the press and you'll never believe it muriel i have exclusive access to the actual recording of that press statement this is not our talented friend christopher corbin doing a reenactment and me attempting to make it sound authentic this is the real recording of warden laws talking to the press
2: i don't know whether she was innocent or guilty but i do know she got a rotten deal all around rotten she told me that after her arrest, she signed a power of attorney for a lawyer so that he could collect $3,000 a man owed her. She gave them everything to defend her. I suppose I ought not to say anything. My job was to kill that woman, not defend her, and I'm not defending her. She may be guilty as hell, but she got a raw deal. Her trial attorneys? Do you know what they did to help her lately? You know what? One of them wrote me saying he'd like four invitations to her execution. That's the kind of defense she had. I, I, I have not talked to you reporters, but there's something I can't help. They say she killed Wright for $1,200. What happened to the policies? She had policy on her own life, and I can't even find that. She recognized her own clothes on one of the so-called friends who came down to see her. She learned they stripped her place. Furniture, radio, everything. Her friends.
0: I love that she only had furniture and a radio. <laughs> <laughs> furniture, radio. <laughs> Everything.
1: Well, I'm going to tell that you all about have, her well, place. That,
0: that is pretty What? cool that you got an exclusive recording. You're yeah, back. I know. I, I
1: know. I was like emailing with Chris Corbin. I was like, can you record this thing? And he was like, yes. And then he did it. And then I was like, I'm just going to use the authentic.
0: (laughs) one." Man, we have the best friends ever. I know. It's so cool. Okay. So
1: how rotten was the injustice Eva Koo suffered? Okay.
0: Can I parrot it back to you? Yeah. So it sounds like what he's saying is she did maybe kill the guy or maybe not. Yeah. But she didn't actually benefit from the policy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money. We'll get into all of that. And then also, just like, what could have pushed Warden Laws to such disgust with the very justice system he devoted his career to? Right. right? Like, he's pissed. So what happened? Why did none of her family or friends claim her body or give her a funeral? Isn't she a madam? Well, yeah. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah. Okay. Who was this murdering, vicious woman, and what happened along the way to lead her into old Sparky's seat? Yeah. That's the episode. Okay. Okay. So we're going to get started. And in what is becoming a suspicious theme on here, here on Muriel's Murders, it all starts in Canada. Oh, okay. Canada. We know y'all are out there <laughs> acting up. <laughs> you little evil northerners. Okay. So Eva Koo was born Eva Curry on June 17th, 1889 in Halliburton County, Ontario. We don't know much about her early life, but she had six siblings and she was the eldest of all the girls. Okay. In 1906, at 17, Eva moves to Toronto with her sister and Eva marries a man. Okay. According to some census document I found, it looks like she was working in Toronto as a nurse.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: That member, like, we've kind of covered this, but up until...
0: Fairly recently, lots of people could work as nurses by just saying they're nurses. Yeah. Yeah. So it's unclear
1: That's, exactly, but she does show up s- with that as hers.
0: I'm just saying it's a thing. classic thing for yeah. murderers to be like, no, no, I'm a nurse. And they're like, got it and check. Here's your paycheck. Get to the hospital.
1: Okay. So in 1916, the census of Manitoba, Saskatchewan uh, has Eva showing up as a 28-year-old married to one Bill Koo Who's age 38. And everything I read had Bill Koo referred to as a railroad worker, but this census says he's labeled as a storekeeper, which sounds like he owned a store. Yeah,
0: okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't be a railroad. Wor- I think it's hard to do that for a very long time. Anyways, yeah. I could see it being like, I did that and I was yeah. like, yikes. And Let then, then own I own a know- store. <laughs> yeah, <'cause> that's <laughs> hard work.
1: Okay. So, um, In 1921, Eva and Bill move to the USA and settle in upstate New York and pretty much get divorced immediately. Uh It's the last we ever hear of Bill Koo. Around this time, Eva's father, Albert Curry, dies and Eva tells her family she is undergoing an operation. When the Currys don't hear back from Eva, they take out advertisements looking for her. They want to know what's going on with their daughter. They hear nothing from Eva. No one contacts them. And they just mourn what is assumed to be the death of their daughter.
0: So, but it, presumably she's like, oh, they say your dad's dead. And then she says, oh, well, I have to have an operation. I can't come see him. And then they never, like, it It seems like it's an excuse to not come I, to there's, the funeral. There's
1: literally nothing I could find <clears throat> anywhere Okay. anything about the family except for when she is eventually sentenced to death her sister says we considered her dead like long ago like she clearly cut off contact with us that is cold as ice. But i'm saying they literally thought she was dead they couldn't find her they couldn't hear from her they just assumed she had died
0: i mean i get that but also like she would be like oh my god she's alive she's like i already think she's dead."
1: <laughs> well everyone turns <laughs> her back on eva in the end so yeah. we'll just get to that for sure okay uh, but Eva at this point, hiding from her family, not dead at all, she's thriving. And in 1928, in the um, uh, okay, now this word gets pronounced different ways. We're gonna call it uh Winona, no, we're gonna call it <laughs> Winonta, Winonta, Winona, New York Directory. <laughs> she makes her debut as the owner of a road stand, okay? Now. The town of Winona plays a big part in this story, and I could tell you all about Winona, New York, but why do that when I have uncovered a real-life Winona Board of Tourism ad that is 100% not recorded by the talented voiceover actor Becky Poole? This is a genuine vintage recording that basically, I didn't write it, okay, I didn't ask Becky to perform it, it's just a genuine ad that explains the town perfectly. Oh wow. Yeah, so that's cool. Let's are you ready to learn about Winona in the Roaring 20s?
3: Yes. Welcome, friends, to Oneonta, New York, or as we like to call it, City of the Hills, located in Otsego County in scenic upstate New York. We sit comfortably in the midst of glorious mountains and sparkling valleys. It's where we farm our dairy and vegetables. Our little paradise is just 50 miles west of Albany and is the perfect destination for truckers on their way to Utica and Binghamton. Did you know Delaware Hudson Railroad Company maintains one of the world's largest railhouses right here in Otsego County? Well, it's the truth. With so many hardworking Americans, earning a living, it's no wonder Oneonta is home to so many world-class hotels and restaurants. (laughs) Eating sure is good. And for the families, Oneonta has it all. Why, down on Main Street, Beckett's Bakery offers the freshest rye bread you ever had for a dime a loaf, and a sweet selection of delicious layer cakes for just 20 cents. Downtown, Finnegan's Market has five-pound sacks of sweet potatoes for 25 cents, and a dozen bartlett pears for 39 cents. Not to mention service with a smile. Grab a gallon of ice cream at Laskeri and a pound of assorted chocolates at Candyland. You'll never see such happy children. And who doesn't love the pictures? For a taste of Hollywood, head on over to Smalley's Theatre to see the finest films available on the silver screen. You might just catch a movie star while you're at it. Hollywood's very own Zazu Pitts, Ken Maynard, and everyone's favorite horse stars came for a visit and delighted fans. Even the celebrities will tell you, Oneonta is number one. That sounds
0: so fancy, zazy pits.
1: <laughs> How good is Becky? That's insane, right? She's
0: so like if you. I wish people could hear her normal voice because that is not. That's wild.
1: Okay, anyways. So, things are booming in winona or oneata or whatever <laughs> just like I said. I did not do a good job communicating with the actors how things should be said cuz I didn't know. I didn't know. You can google it. But I tried, fine. but then no, that didn't work. I'm not
0: taking any responsibility. <laughs> of course not. Somebody from New York is going to be like, "What did you do?"
1: <laughs> okay, so anyways. Okay, so All these railroad (laughs) workers and truckers coming through. Okay, we're making great money, and they were looking to have a little fun. That's where Eva's roadhouse comes into play, or as it was ironically called, Little Eva's. It's ironic because Eva wasn't little. By 1920 standards, she was a gigantic person clocking in at a gargantuan 170 pounds. That's... Really? <laughs> they thought it was hilarious caller little Eva.
0: Uh, that's so funny how uh, everything's changed so much over the years.
1: <laughs> okay, that's anyway, a- Little Eva's was a place to be for as famous true crime journalist Dorothy put it. For hooches and whores. Nice. Hooch and whores. Anyways, you can get it's a speakeasy <laughs> and they have prostitutes, okay? <laughs> okay? This was during prohibition, and Eva was offering all these well paid blue collar guys and all the powerful white-collar men in the county the speakeasy and brothel experience they deserved. This roadhouse was situated just down the street from two hotels. And as we'll learn, the newspapers wrote some pretty disrespectful and often inaccurate things about Eva and the town. So I'm not sure how entirely, entirely accurate this is. But here's a quote from the evening recording describing little Eva's speakeasy slash brothel. Okay, Okay. quote, the place is nothing more than a road stand. It has three not over large rooms. One of them evidently used for dancing as it has a hardwood floor in the extremely small kitchen may be seen a couch, which sounds cracking to me. Uh, There are no other beds as there is no place for them. The third room might be called a social or living room in the rear is one building which might be called an overnight cottage. The other buildings on the place are a small garage, chicken house and small outbuilding. I also read, that's the end quote. I also read somewhere that it was situated in a three-story apartment building. So I'm really not sure exactly what her space actually really looked
0: like. It sounds like it's more of like a like a home that's converted into something than yeah. an actual.
1: Which, you know what? What?
0: That would be really tight if people brought that back. Like if you were going through tiny towns yeah. and like a roadside place would be like. Like I remember you talking about how. In Sicily, there used to be the woman where, like, if you bring her a fish, like, or whatever, you go down, she'll just make it for (laughs) you. Yeah, and she just, it was just, her her kitchen
1: was just on the street, and she just opened the door to her kitchen.
0: Yeah, when we were in Sicily, like, there was a lot more, like, it had been built up a little more, and you didn't see as much of that kind of stuff, but it would be so tight if you were would be able to kind of go into these small towns and be like,
1: well, here
0: come into my house right it's It's kind of like an airbnb
1: but with like or not airbnb like a b&b with an open door policy or something yeah
0: but like but even like you know it's like a a little kitchen with a couch in it (laughs) (laughs) like
1: what well whatever it was it was definitely where everyone hung out it was super super busy it was like the brothel and the speakeasy in town and Everyone loved Eva, especially her employees. Many of the women that worked for Eva considered her like a big sister or mother figure. Eva was famous for being generous to a fault. She made a ton of money, but also gave tons of it away and paid for all kinds of living expenses for her friends, even as the Great Depression hit in October 1929, less than two years after she even opened her business.
0: Well, I hope she's also paying these girls well are those her friends or is this meaning that she takes money from the girls and then pays for her friends to have fancy no
1: the, her friends being her employees oh, Okay, her, the, <laughs> the, like,
0: that does not seem super generous <laughs> to right.
1: me yeah i mean it's we'll, a
0: little like evil
1: well we'll, we'll you know I'll, I'll let you be the judgmental one and i'll just say how the about, facts how about that how Did about that little evil huh <laughs> okay so for instance one of these friends slash hostesses was martha clift a mother of two escaping an abusive relationship relationship Relationship, Eva brought her in, fed her, took care of her, and gave her a job. Lottie James and Olive Brooks also had similar stories and were deeply devoted to Eva. And a big element of Eva's success was that she was great at keeping secrets. So when the local politicians or clergymen wanted to get drunk and hook up with Martha, Lottie, or Olive, or or one of Eva's other hostesses, they knew they wouldn't get caught. Like Eva's cool. Okay, great. So, everyone loves her. Big secret. Uh, yeah, little Evil. Just like Executioner Elliot implied in the beginning of the episode, Eva rocks. She's nice. She kept her mouth shut. She gave people what she wanted, and everyone loved her. Plus, she had a boyfriend who loved her too, and Eva took care of him. His name, Harry Knobinger, age 39. Employment status, unemployed. Marriage status, married to a woman in Detroit. Father status, five children in oh Detroit. Drunk status, Shit
4: faced.
1: (laughs) In fact, a lot of people were shit faced at the time. As the 20s melted into the 30s, the Great Depression started taking its toll and heavy alcohol abuse was on the rise. One of these drinkers was named Harry Wright, the victim of our tragedy. Uh This Harry is not to be confused with Harry Knobbinger, Eva's awesome, amazing boyfriend, okay? Uh, Between a natural limp and a significant hitting of the hooch, Harry Wright was considered to be incapable of supporting himself and lived with his mother well into his 40s. He had a nickname around um, Winona, and I had to double-check with Muriel that it is a... considered an offensive term and yes it was back then and still is an offensive term so i'm going to be like the classy true crime journalist dorothy kilgallen and not use the term Uh, so for the rest of this episode i'm going to call eva's boyfriend knobbinger and i'm going to call harry Wright harry
0: That's great. That was actually, uh, I remember that. I was standing in the kitchen and he walked in and asked me, is this word offensive? (laughs) I was like, what's wrong
1: with you? Well, it's just in every newspaper and like every, it's in everything except for Dorothy Kilgallen's piece.
0: It's a weird thing when you go through old timey newspapers because like it's awesome that there's free press, right? But <laughs> standard back then you'll just, and it's weird. Cause yeah. like, especially if that's your, like one of your main sources, yeah, you'll be going through and like, you're seeing and reading all of this stuff. And then you start writing and you're like, I think what I'm writing is pretty. Effective. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you have to, like yeah. remember, cause you're just like, get, you know, getting all this information. You have right. to remember, Oh man, this is, You get desensitized. Yeah. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, despite people mocking and looking down on Harry, Eva took him in when his mother died in 1931. She gave him a place to live, a place to drink, and employed him as a handyman around her operation. Harry was known to appreciate Eva's generosity and repaid her by handing over the $2,000 inheritance he had received from his mother's will. What? This was, of course, a lot of money, about $38,000 in today's buying power. Harry came from a rich and well-respected family.
0: That seems like a really bad plan for him because he can't work. Why would he give her that money?
1: Because she was the only one who's nice to him. She brought him in. Yeah, but then now, what, is he going to be homeless? Well, no, she lives she also he also lives at her place. And a lot of these hostesses that I mentioned, they also live at the road stand. So like this B and B we're talking about, imagine like a bunch of people also living there.
0: I still think it's a bad plan to give away all your money.
1: Well (laughs) The plan gets better because when the house that he also inherited from his mother burned down, Harry collects the insurance money and loans it all to Eva, who is having a hard time paying her taxes since so many of her blue collar employees are losing their jobs at the time because the depression is crashing everything, and they don't have any more money to spend. She's having a hard time with her tax bills. Harry lends her all the money. Then, Harry, who cannot support himself, sells the land that the burned-down house sits on, and he keeps that for himself. Oh,
5: thank Um, God.
1: Psych! He gives that money to Eva, too. No! Come on! This he does a little at a time, usually showing up at the bank totally trashed with Eva by his side.
0: Okay, so that's pretty evil. I'm going to start calling her little evil. (laughs) Okay, well... She's not all, that's pretty shitty. She knows he shouldn't be doing
1: that. Also, Harry takes Eva to go visit a man named Arthur Stanley. Stanley is a stonecutter and has the honorable job of chiseling the names, dates, and quotes into the headstones at the local cemetery. Because of the Wright family legacy, he not only knows of them, but he actually is the man responsible for all the appropriate chiseling and is well aware of the Wright family grave plot. Okay. Okay. In fact, to ensure the legacy of the rights, Stanley had already chiseled part of Harry's gravestone with his name and birthday as requested by the rights. So it was a little bit weird when Harry came in with Eva Koo and the two of them told him that he had actually made a mistake. Stanley I'm marked, not going to die <laughs> Stanley had marked Harry's year of birth as 1880 when in fact Harry had actually been born in 1885 the Wright family Bible had the correct year in it but somewhere along the way a mistake had been made and they, they needed to change the year on the gravestone it was odd but not that strange and not nearly as perplexing as when Harry asked Arthur Stanley to add Eva Ku's name to the gravestone as well Stanley objected, but Harry stood firm. Eva Koo had taken care of him and protected him whether his mother has died and no one else cared about him, and she was the best friend he had, and they wanted to be buried next to each other. Stanley couldn't say no. He thought it was weird. He thinks, I don't think your family would be happy with this. You guys aren't even married, but he doesn't get to say no to that, right? He puts up a fight, but he can't say no. He says, fine. He charges them $8 for the work, and that was $8 he never collected. Weird.
0: So, that's so weird. Oh, also because yeah. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Especially what? in old times, cemeteries have tons of rules about who can be buried where and what's going on. Like, that's so odd that he was just like, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> like, I, like it's just
1: interesting. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I didn't read anything about the rules. He just was like, yeah, I can put her name on there and give
0: eight dollars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right.
1: So here we are. It's 1934. The DH railway line has discontinued its commuter train to Winona, so the economy is looking grim. But there's a heavyweight boxing fight that everyone is pumped about, especially Harry, okay? Ooh. It's not in town, but everyone wants to listen to it on the radio. Okay. On the night of <laughs> June seem, fo- Like It what? would
0: be very helpful to their economy. <laughs> That's funny. You were like oh, the railway station closed down, but there's a fight on the radio.
1: <laughs> You're right. I combined those two things. I like that. I I'm saying, just saying it's 1934. It sucks. Okay? Yeah, right. But Winona this is time. like the rail. Now there's no commuters coming through. All the railroad road workers have lost their jobs. Yeah, Money is tight. Eva's business is tanking. Spirits are really low. Yeah. But there's this awesome heavyweight fight that everyone wants to listen to on the radio. Okay. okay. okay I like So it. on the night, Of June 14th, just three days before Eva Koo's 35th birthday, Harry was getting drunk with a dude named Ernie Tatum and couldn't wait to hear the the fight on the radio. He tells Ernie Eva is going to drive him up to Crumhorn Mountain. They're going to steal some shrubs from the property up there. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently that was just like a completely normal thing. So yeah. Oh yeah. They got some good trees. We'll steal them and bring them down here. But they kept calling them shrubs. I don't know. (laughs) But, but he's like, he's telling Ernie. Okay. So Eva's going to take me up to Crumhorn. We're going to steal these shrubs, but she promises she's going to get me back in time to hear the fight. Okay. Because Primo Canero. Did I say his name right? No. Primo Canera, nicknamed the ambling Alp, was a six foot five and a half foot beast. (sighs) Okay, I'm setting up the fight now. Primo Canero. (laughs) Primo Canera, nicknamed the ambling Alp, was a six foot five and a half tall beast, foot tall beast. (laughs) You get it? He's huge. Who looked like a cross between Andre the Giant and Javier Bardem. Whoa. Trust me, he was sexy. And I do mean that. I was looking at him. I was like, that's my ideal man. I want to be that guy. (laughs) He was a world champ set to face a much smaller, happy-go-lucky, all-American boy named Max Bear. Interesting. if you were to look at the photo of the two men max didn't stand a chance but max bear had an ace up his sleeve he was an actual boxer <laughs> you see primo canera despite his handsome masculine ways was bad at punching and an obvious mob plant who won all of his fights because the other guys took a dive wow but max bear was not the one And in what was thought to be one of the most lopsided fights in heavyweight history, Bear knocked down the sexy giant somewhere between seven and 12 times, depending on the enthusiasm of the reporter. (laughs) The massacre ended after the referee called it two minutes into the 11th round. While this proved to the world that Canera, aka Nick's ideal physical specimen, was a fraud... Even the haters had to give him credit for getting up so many times. Max Bear was the heavyweight champion of the world. (laughs) Unfortunately, Harry never made it back in time to hear the fight. In fact, no one was even sure where he had stumbled off to. Eva sure hadn't seen him. And around 10 p.m. she called police, worried for her friend. Shortly after, the police were at Eva's door. They had bad news. Harry Wright was found dead on the side of the road, hit by a car unfortunately these things were common alcohol related hit and runs on rural roads happened all the time it was so common in fact that eva had worried for a long time that harry would drunkenly wander into the road and get hit by a car just like this the police shook their heads and offered their condolences eva went to bed and the police took the body down to the station and filled out the paperwork for a hit and run
0: what happened to the shrubs she didn't get them
1: r.i.p harry Thanks for trying to throw that in there when I was about to say, <laughs> I didn't know what you, know. you were planning
0: on doing. <laughs> also, the shrubs coming crazy. to play. Let me God.
1: <laughs> all right, Napoleon. Stay home and eat all the cheese, Kip. <laughs> all right. The next day, mourning the loss of dear Harry, Eva went down to the insurance company. The insurance inspector sat with Eva and looked over Harry Wright's life insurance policy the exact amount has been reported at multiple amounts, so I'm not really going to get into it, but it wasn't really that much. But it did have only one benefactor Eva Koo. The insurance man looks at his watch. It's only been a matter of hours since she learned of his death. So he picks up the phone and gives the police department a little ring a ding ding to ask a few questions.
0: Right. This lady's mourning him by trying to collect his uh, insurance. Also, it's yeah. insane that in this town, it's just very common that drunk people get hit by
1: cars. It's been happening like all, it's it happened a lot in Prohibition, that's, apparently.
0: Well, I guess people, <laughs> well, I mean, if you're drinking bathtub gin, I guess you don't really know what's in it. You're just like, damn, that's crazy. Well, I think
1: a lot of drivers were drunk too. Yeah definitely
0: yeah. there's like if you're if there, there's not any laws to regulate it people are just going <laughs> up i always remember like uh-huh. Toulouse, like this idea of right like uh <laughs> Toulouse lose the well it's like when when the, all of the impressionists were drinking absinthe and they yeah. were thinking oh it has all of these hallucinogenic properties yeah. but most of it was because none of them were used to drinking so much hard liquor right yeah they were just really <laughs> really trash they were just like this is weird, <laughs> crazy <laughs> man <laughs>
1: okay so obviously it's not a hit and run right okay so kids who's ready for the investigation into the death of harry wright you're supposed to say i am i am i was thinking
0: i don't think benefactor is the right word
1: oh i was beneficiary yeah (laughs) what'd i say oh yeah benefactor benefactor. (laughs) yeah beneficiary (laughs) don't be lost in thought trying to correct my mistake. well i was
0: like am i wrong am i wrong (laughs) that seems odd to me
1: all right investigation okay boom Okay, Okay. okay i'm ready Right off the bat, Dr. Windsor, a doctor hired by the insurance company, as opposed to the police that found the body, uh-huh. he takes one look at Harry's body and determines that Harry was not hit by a car. He was ran over by a car twice.
0: Wow. What's
1: more, something struck him in the head that was not consistent with any like car part hitting him.
0: I think insurance investigator, that job would be so fascinating to do. Yeah. And of course, like... I don't know. What? The most motivating thing for people is money. Yeah. So the, of course, the insurance people are like, send out this guy. And he's like, actually, listen, I'm going to do a much more thorough job figuring this out. Well,
1: that's actually very important. So put a pin in that because we'll come back to what you just said later. Okay? okay. So keep that in mind. Okay. So back to where the body was found, a few things were not found. Namely, any tire marks or broken glass or debris from a car that might be anywhere near the scene of a hit and run, Uh you know, uh Uh, based on how the body was found and the way the hat was knocked off his head, Harry Harry would have needed to be rammed from the opposite side of the road. And to launch his body that far, surely something of the car would have been left behind because the impact would have just been too much. Uh Right. So, of course, they immediately question Eva since she was quick to jump on the insurance claim and all that kind of stuff. But she swears she was home all night and she has alibis to prove it okay so their next move is to go visit all the mechanics and garages garages used to rent out cars i guess Mm -hmm. it's like a rental car place uh they go to go talk to all them in the area to see if anyone brought in a banged up car well they don't get any bites but one mechanic does mention a young woman who rented a willis knight one of these big huge beautiful cars from the 30s just she rented it just for one day and when she returned it she was so nervous and uncommunicated uncommunicative and in a hurry to leave that the guy gave the car an inspection to see if she was trying to hide any damage after she left right Uh he hadn't found any damage but usually people are super friendly and talkative and she had just like came in nervous gave him the money and like left i mean this dame came in and she didn't even smile (laughs) what's wrong with a woman that don't smile she must be up to something i didn't find a dent anywhere well anyways the name on the rental agreement martha clift The police knew her. She works and lives at Little Eva's. She was one of the ones we mentioned earlier. Okay. So the police decide to take another look at this car and in the back seat, they find bloodstains. Realizing that they uh, needed to actually really start doing some serious murder (laughs) investigation, the police take a good hard look at the place you'd least expect it, their own headquarters. What? And what do they find? A police report filed just a night ago, the very same night Harry was killed by a woman named Mrs. Fink. Mrs. Fink owned the big old farmhouse up on Crumhorn Mountain, the Scott House. You know the one, the one that people are always breaking into and vandalizing. It has all those good shrubs all over the property. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you can go steal a shrub or two up on Crumhorn Mountain. You know the one.
0: Also, I feel like, I think Fink is like slang for somebody who's a snitch, it isn't is. it? It not it its It totally
1: is. 100% is. Okay. Well, someone had told Mrs. Fink that a car had driven up Crumhorn Mountain, and she was just so pissed about people always going up there and vandalizing it. and like Stealing her shrubs. Yeah. (laughs) So she took her daughter and son-in-law in the car and went up to see what was going on just before 9 p.m. Okay. And up on Crumhorn Mountain, in front of the old Scott house, Mrs. Fink and her entourage found a big, shiny Willis Knight automobile with none other than Martha Clift behind the steering wheel. But- Martha wasn't alone standing outside the car utterly offended by Mrs. Fink's accusatory questioning was the one and only little Eva Koo, the same little Eva Koo who had told police she hadn't left her place all night long. According to the people who lived there and <laughs> depended on her for money. <laughs> Basically what happened was Mrs. Fink was like, just immediately went and filed the police report. Yeah. She's Cause like, she, yeah, I went up there and Martha Clift and Eva Koo were up on the fucking <laughs> Up at the house. <laughs> okay, so, anyways, we're having this confrontation. Eva is so affronted that Mrs. Fink thinks she would be up to no good. She's like, I was just shitting, is what she said. Is that what or she saying? Or peeing. Said? I don't know. She said relieving herself. She's like, I was just taking a huge shit. I wasn't stealing your shrubs. I was using them to wipe myself. What's the problem here? I don't <laughs> know. Uh, anyways, Mrs. Fink, based on the way the cars were, is like, okay, fine. And then they drive away first. So they actually drive away from the scene with Eva still standing outside the car, whatever. Rookie move. That's why they're
0: stealing her shrubs. She's like, (laughs) what are you doing up here? Nothing. I'm just taking a (laughs) bee. Okay. Well, next time drive away. (laughs)
1: they have like, like bushes coming out of their pockets it's
0: like that's an easy person to rob man
1: uh okay okay uh where am i at here okay anyways so this is enough for uh police to arrest eva and martha but once the women are in custody the police hold off on charging them officially instead they illegally search eva's room and find 19 life insurance policies on harry wright all of which have eva as a sole benefactor or beneficiary whatever it is <laughs> all of which have the double indemnity 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 uh, <laughs> indemnity clause <laughs> which pay double if he's killed in an accident.
0: Interesting.
1: All of which pay out more if he dies before he turns 50, meaning all of them pay out more if he was born in 1885, which his gravestone now says, instead of him being born in 1880.
0: I knew that was why. Of course he did. Cause you're
6: smart.
1: Okay. Uh, along the way, they also learn that Eva had life insurance policies on pretty much everyone who worked for her and some of their children. She had many life insurance policies on her property, her buildings, all that kind of stuff, which honestly is just sensible sort of business considering how well Harry's mother's house, uh, insurance paid out when it burned down. And also back in the day when she was married to that, man bill Koo, their house burned down and she clicked a big fat insurance payout. girl she's so, been burning down houses so it no, just makes has. sense like if you if you have all of this good luck with insurance paying out of course you're gonna have a lot of insurance or it,
0: conversely if you have a lot of bad luck with all the houses of people you know burning down
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay while eva and martha are locked up but not charged the police begin to ask a lot of questions of the people associated with little Eva's. This is when they learn that Ernie Tatum had been drinking with Harry and Harry told him that Eva was going to take him up to Crumhorn Mountain to steal some shrubs, okay? (laughs) Lottie James and Olive Brooks, two of the hostesses that we mentioned earlier, who are supposedly like super, super close with Eva, they immediately tell police that Eva has this big, heavy mallet and like to talk about how good of a murder weapon it could be. They said it was... They said that Eva could be incredibly cruel to Harry and would constantly threaten to kill him with this mallet. Olive Brooks also tells police Eva had her forge a change in the Wright family Bible so that it would say Harry was born in 1885 instead of
0: 1880. I do want to say, yeah. besides the forging of the thing, yeah. I always think the threatening to kill people with something dumb is always like a
1: slippery. I mean, we like, would all be in jail for life if that was like meant anything.
0: Like, I, I, I know that's kind of what I mean. It's like sometimes you'll hear like it's, it's really tricky because yeah. most of the time they did murder them, you know. <laughs> yeah. But like, if I thought back to the amount of times like, like we're arguing about something I was just like, I'm going to murder you. Yeah,
6: I know. <laughs> like,
0: when you think about like, okay, for instance everyone's got a gun, you know, it's like the wild, wild West. It's like the 1930s right now. Yeah. It's
1: well, it's also the East.
0: Well, you get what I'm saying. It's just like, (laughs) like new America. Lots of fuck. Everybody's got a gun. She's like, probably, you know, like you have access to actual murder weapons. And you have this woman who's called little Eva who's, apparently gigantic <laughs> like walking around with a giant mallet i just am like i see the bit
1: you know yeah, what i right. mean yeah, yeah, like, but,
0: like i would think of that more as a bit than like show me the actual... madam
1: of a brothel who doesn't have a couple blunt objects that she thinks would make good murder weapons i mean if
0: you're gonna walk around your place and be like you bet uh, you better watch out i'm gonna smack you with my oversized mallet i would definitely think that's more of a bit than a threat
1: yeah Anyways, Brooks tells the cops where the mallet is kept and where the bible is kept, but both of them are missing. Ooh. Police also learned that the hat found uh, by Harry's body was definitely not his. Harry always wore the same canvas painter's hat and the one at the scene most definitely belonged to Eva's boyfriend, Mr. Knobbinger. Okay. Weird! Mr. Knobbinger had a lot to say as well. First of all, he was trashed that night and couldn't say where he was exactly during the hours in question. He did say that over the last year or so, he had driven Harry and Eva to multiple appointments with insurance agencies and bankers. He did say Eva was a tyrant of a woman <laughs> who was (laughs) routinely cruel to Harry okay and he swore he had nothing to do with the murder he also literally had nothing nice to say about Eva he wasn't like what no I love her he was like she's evil like
0: come on though right I don't know man it's like I can really just see just having a reputation like that like she's just walking around she's a tyrant of a woman like you've said
1: that about me like a thousand (laughs) times and I believe it Right? (laughs) (laughs) the cops come to me I'll be like Meryl here who the tyrant (laughs) Scrolling Reddit on the bed In the bedroom (laughs) She said she was going to murder me With that iPhone Okay <laughs> okay. Okay. We're moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> We're moving on. Okay. And what uh, was I believe to be a legal search of Eva's entire property, but it's still unclear to me if this search was actually legal or not. Police find the missing Wright family Bible with the date changed, and they find the mallet. The mallet is bloody and wrapped inside Harry's blood-soaked canvas hat. Oh, lord. During this time, it's also determined that Harry's time of death was about 8.30, just some minutes before Mrs. Fink discovered Eva and Martha in front of the old Scott house up on Crumhorn Mountain. It's also determined that while Harry had some alcohol in his system when he died, it was nowhere near the level of like inebriated person who might stumble into traffic. Uh huh. So while all of this is unfolding and they're collecting all this evidence, Eva Koo and Martha Clift are in custody without being charged with anything. Instead, they are being kept awake for days on end and relentlessly interrogated. I won't go into all the back and forths, uh, but coming out of the suspect's mouths were just a lot of outright lies and then just a lot of contradictory statements and incongruencies uh, for the first several days of this interrogation. I
0: mean, you can't you can't interrogate people for days and expect them like without sleeping and expect them to say something reasonable.
1: Right. So a lot of the treatment of the two suspects um, has been denied by the police, but both women claim they were threatened with the death penalty and offered freedom. If they turned on the other, it's also worth noting that eventually each woman has confessions deemed inadmissible in the court of law due to co- coercion. Uh, but eventually a final confession confession is in fact admitted. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So deprived of sleep, Both Eva and Martha were frustrating police with different accounts of exactly what happened, but a few elements of the story started taking shape, okay? So here's what most likely happened on the night of June 14th. Eva tells Harry to help her steal some shrubs from Crumhorn mountain with the intent of killing him when they're up there. Okay. Okay. They drove up the mountain. Eva and Harry got out of the car somewhere between eight 30 and nine. Eva hits him on the head with the mallet. He falls to the ground and Martha drives over him. Eva sees Mrs. Fink's car coming up the road and tells Eva to drive over Harry again so that his body would be under the car and out of view. Mrs. Fink her daughter and son-in-law get out of the car don't see the body or suspect anything other than whatever weird stuff most people are getting up to, to at this regularly stealing dress- shrubs yeah. yeah just whatever they usually do at the old scott property uh, anyways they don't expect murder or anything like that They don't see anything that would make them think that um they get in their car and leave eva then lies down uh, a quilt in the back seat and puts harry's body inside the car they then drive down the hill and find a place to dump Harry's body where it makes sense he would be walking. Eva puts her boyfriend's hat on the ground to make it look like it flew off Harry's head. Now that is probably
0: the dumbest thing out of all of it, right? I mean, to me, I'm like, come on, man. That's like, so unnecessary. Well, if
1: this is, in fact, the series of events, we don't know for, for we sure. We don't know. We but don't it's know like, for sure.
0: But that's the, one, that's the one thing that stands out to me. Yeah. is like, clearly you wouldn't. Like, you're going to add a hat that belongs to your boyfriend
1: to the scene. When this guy is like always known for always wearing the exact same kind of hat. I mean,
0: that like, no, there's no. It's not like they would find him and be like, well, he couldn't have been hit by a car. He's not wearing a hat. (laughs) Like,
1: Come on. Okay. So anyways, they drop it off. They lay the hat (laughs) on the ground. Uh, Then Martha drops Eva off at her house, ditches the quilt, which the police find later where Martha says she ditches the quilt and then goes to return the rental car. So those are the broad strokes. But the details are still so murky and each confession contradicts the other and little Uh detailed ways such uh. as like did Eva bring the mallet with her or plant it at the Scott house beforehand did the blow to the head kill Harry and the driving over him was to make it look like that's how he died or was it the car that actually killed him uh-huh. okay so Eva's claiming that Harry spoke out When he hit the ground, indicating that the car is what killed him, Martha is saying she didn't do it with the intention of killing him at all, that the plan was for Eva to drive over him at first, and she didn't really know what was going on. (laughs) Frustrating the police even more is there is no evidence at the scene of the crime that backs up any of this. In fact, no evidence of this scene besides Mrs. Fink's story of finding them up there is presented by the DA at trial at all. So under pressure to get these confessions straight, the police swing for the fences on the night of June 20th with the rain pouring down, they dig up Harry Wright's body, put it on the bed of a pickup truck and drive it up to Crumhorn Mountain. They snatch an exhausted Martha and Eva who still have not slept out of their cells, take them up to Crumhorn Mountain and make them use Harry's corpse as a props and to force them to reenact the murder. That's insane. Yes. That's completely
0: insane. Yes. This is, people, man, old-timey crimes, man. People, they're like, I had a dream. And then they're like, <laughs> let's burn down the town! You know, like, what the
1: hell? Okay, so it's dark. Okay, it's night. The only light is coming from the police's vehicle headlights. It's pouring down rain, and Harry's body is being dishonored again. At one point, Eva, with all the corpse on her hands, asked for something to clean her hands with. And the police tell her to wipe them off in the grass, traumatized and out of their minds. The women are brought back to jail and interrogated for multiple more hours. And one final time, a confession is written down. And even though it's still not what district attorney Don Grant wants, they just go for it anyways. Basically my understanding is that DAs want signed confessions to match up uh, exactly, with so they yeah. c- well, and just with each other, so that they right, can go right, into yeah. trial and have this ironclad version of events, okay? So, even after this ludicrous tactic of taking Harry's corpse and making them carry him around, f- that is out of style, that's yeah, insane. The police and district attorney Don Grant settle on charging them with murder and heading into trial with these very flawed most likely inadmissible confessions, okay?
0: Nailed it. (laughs) Doing a great job.
1: (laughs) So Eva Koo was to be tried for first-degree murder as the ringleader of the operation with the possibility of a death sentence, and Martha Clift was set to testify against her in exchange for pleading guilty to second-degree murder and would get like a 20-year sentence but spared the chair, okay? So the idea was that Eva was... Little Eva Koo, the mastermind, cold-hearted killer, and Martha Clift was like the manipulated underling.
0: I mean, that's so... Martha Clift was the one who was like, well, he was lying on the ground and he was still <laughs>
1: alive. No, and Martha's is not saying that. Mar- she
0: said he got hit and he was dead already, and then she just drove the car because she didn't
1: know what was going on. Well, I'll just give you a little thing. We're going to hear from Martha later and not our friend Becky Poole. We're going to hear from the real Martha when the time comes. But now this goes without saying, but oh goodness, was this trial a media sensation. First of all, Eva was a well-known madam with a famous brothel and speakeasy and was known to have friendships with endless amounts of powerful people. But from day one, none of these people offered any words of support, encouragement, or anything, and she was painted as an evil villain in the papers.
0: Well, yeah, nobody's going to, at this point, what's it going to benefit anyone
1: Well, she might not be guilty.
0: Yeah, but she's a madam at a brothel. Like, no politician that goes to the brothel is going to come out and be like, ah, but she's really awesome. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I think that friendship only goes to a certain length. Well, it turns out
1: all of her friendships only go to a certain length. Second of all, with so many people being so hard up for cash, Mm -hmm. okay, uh, the concept of do- of murder for money was a major element in American life. Like it really had gripped the public psyche. Yeah. Right. So everyone was really keyed up about this trial. Like just a few years previous, uh, the famous double indemnity, m- indemnity murder. This is delightful. <laughs> Whatever that word is, you know what it is. The double indemnity murder by Ruth Snyder had riveted the country. Okay. So yeah. this was like Ruth Snyder, the too fast, too furious sequel. <laughs> True to form, Eva showed up to court Looking and acting like a movie star In the face of a sneering public On the first day of jury selection As people showed up to like Boo her and sneer at her and everything She started pointing at men in the audience Like in the crowd and calling them by their first name Because she knew all of them Go ahead, So she's girl. just calling them out Go ahead. There was one dude who's like being an asshole And she was like, oh really? Great, yeah, I'll tell Susan you said hi And then he's like hella rattled <laughs> okay so i would
0: totally do that are you kidding how satisfying would that be if you're like oh you're morally outraged oh really dude (laughs) freaking kyle i know you
1: Okay, so I was able to uh, pull a few strings and get exclusive access to a clip of Eva addressing reporters. Okay, so if our friend Lindsay Burrow ever tries to say she recorded this quote because I asked her to be a part of this episode, she's lying to you. Okay, sure, she's a talented actor, blah, 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 but she's also a liar because this is not Lindsay Burrow. Uh, This is the real Eva Koo. The
0: framework for this is outrageous. (laughs)
1: I'm committing to it, baby. Okay, I now bring you Eva Koo.
7: I know secrets about a lot of well-known men around here. I know about the things they did when their wives were around, and I might have to tell a few of them now that I'm down and they're stepping on me. Some of the biggest shots in the county came down to my place on Saturday nights. They say my place was pretty wild. I didn't do anything to make it that way. It was the men of the county who did it. I took care of Harry Wright for four years after his mother died. They say I killed him. It's a damn vicious lie. I wish to God... The men I know would help me
0: now. Sneaky Pete. (laughs) Oh my God. She's very sexy. (laughs) But I get it, man. I like that. That's exactly. I mean, of course, these people are these dudes who are coming to the house are going to be like, you know, oh, I never I would never in my life. yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like that's the only leverage she has. It's like, yeah, guys. Really wish you helped me out. Little like Morse code here, right? Yeah. if you don't, people <laughs> might be finding out about you.
1: You better hope I don't take the stand and have anything to say. Little evil. Okay. Unfortunately for little Eva, <laughs> I'm not going to call her evil. Oh,
0: no, I know, I know.
1: Unfortunately for Eva, the trial was a disaster for her both inside the courtroom and out. Oh, no. The press flat out ridiculed her looks and public opinion was heavily skewed towards sending her to the electric chair from day one. People showed up from all over to try to get into this courtroom. People would pack lunches so that they would eat during the lunch break and not lose their seats. Yeah. The sheriff started a ticketing system to give everyone an equal chance of getting in. It was just a classic murder trial circus.
0: I just, I'm like, thank
1: God for television. man. (laughs) Now (laughs) we could just uh, be like, you know, incredulous weirdos in the, Safety of our own living room.
0: I mean, honestly, it's like maybe we're all just a little bit too freaky. Like it's good to have this like opiate of Netflix to just be like, (laughs) all right, you know, just go to your house. (laughs) Have your your snacks there.
1: Speaking of snacks, vendors were selling ice cream, okay? (laughs) Someone made a bunch of toy mallets and sold them as souvenirs. Oh,
0: Lord.
2: The
1: other sensation at the time was a new Shirley Temple movie, so you'd see kids in line with these toy mallets waiting to see Shirley Temple, and everyone would just be talking about the murder.
0: Doesn't that sound kind of like Gentle Minions in some weird way?
1: (laughs) Gentle Minions?
0: Isn't that the new new trend of like dude's dressing up in like fedoras and suits and going and seeing Minions movies and everybody gets freaked out and like cancels the movie.
1: Uh, is it like that? No. But-
0: I mean, <laughs> like it's that kind of unintentional Weird zeitgeisty thing where, like, well,
1: the point I'm bringing up is just that there's a stark contrast to Shirley Temple, and it's like it's something I forget that I should have written down the name of the movie, but it's just like this cute Shirley Temple movie that's like the most popular thing, except for the other most popular thing is the mallet that you killed the
0: guy with (laughs) and your little kid is holding to go take to the movie. (laughs) I'm just saying, I just I'm again, Uh you know, it's just like
1: humans are. (laughs) are it's, they're just awful yeah that's why we need netflix hulu <laughs> amazon prime all right anyways uh mrs fink started selling artifacts from the quote haunted house everyone was turning a buck
0: mrs fink man
1: uh, inside the courtroom, dozens of witnesses took the stand and testified against Eva in a variety of ways, most of which were friends of Eva's, uh, like some of the people I've mentioned so far in this story.
0: Well, yeah, I object to you calling them friends, but I understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it. So, like, Eva had hired an expensive, well-respected defense attorney, Sonny Jim Byard. <laughs> I think it's Byard. It sounds like I'm just saying bird in a weird way. Sonny <laughs> Jim <Bard. laughs> Uh Okay. So what Sonny Jim did, I, I can't just see. Just Jim. Baird. Sonny Jim. Okay. Baird? Baird? I don't know. Uh, so what Sonny Jim mostly did for the, Cross-examination of these witnesses was uh, basically rehashed the ways in which Eva had been really good to them over the years. Okay. Okay. So, for instance, the D.A. called a surprise witness Gladys Shumway to the stand who lived at little Eva's for a period of time and had been given the job of researching insurance agents for Eva to take out policies with on Harry's life. That had been like her task. Gladys testified that Eva hated Harry and always talked about how easy it would be to kill him. She, too, testified that Eva always talked about killing Harry with the mallet, okay?
0: But she researched the policies. It's like...
2: That's well, so- the
1: thing is, so what's happening is, is that the DA, this guy Don Grant, is yeah. bringing people up and just painting Eva as a, as, like just a monster it's like a one-dimensional evil person
0: right but i guess i'm just saying if you use evil people who did evil things with eva then using those people to paint this picture it feels a little bit less like uh accurate you get what i'm saying like if eva committed a bunch of crimes this is like happens with lots of crimes it's Uh like if the only Care, like witnesses you have are also like criminals. They're <laughs>
1: then, not criminals. I mean, they're maybe a little downtrodden.
0: Boy, my job was to research different life policies to take out on That's Harry. Not, that doesn't make with the framework that eva was saying she's going to kill him with a mallet that's that's i mean if that's not like some sort of accessory to murder like the, right okay. Like okay
1: okay so now we're conspiracy start, okay.
0: to commit murder yeah. right. like she's getting paid to do this thing right she's going to benefit from eva having the money to keep the broth open so she can keep living there. all of this is right like i'm just saying like right. she's not like it's just funny
1: because it's like yeah man huh, she's the evil person she steals bikes And I am the lookout. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So this is a good point. So stick a pin in that because that's like a big correct thing, right? Oh, I'll stick a pin in it. (laughs) (laughs) So so during cross-examination, basically Baird pressed... Gladys you can call about Sunny Jim. Sunny Jim. So, for cross examination, Sunny Jim Baird also <laughs> impressed Gladys about things like this, but also about how Gladys had gotten pregnant at another brothel that she had been working at and had to leave, and with no family and nowhere to leave, uh, nowhere to live. Eva took her in. The baby was born dead, and Eva was the only one who cared for Gladys in the following weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay, maybe Eva is just manipulating people and finding the most down and out people and then bringing them. In. In and like being nice to them and that's all a big manipulation or maybe she's like not just a one dimensional monster of course she's not right nobody is I mean so. I don't know actually I'll take that <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Most> people are <laughs> okay so this kind of ordeal happened again with Mr. Nobinger, the boyfriend when he took the stand for the prosecution he only had terrible things to say about Eva Koo until <laughs> he was cross examined and had to admit the ways in which Eva was supporting him <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, he—it's not like they were broken up. That's her boyfriend. Yeah, like he can be like, "Oh, the ball of chain," blah blah blah. And it's like, so why are you guys still together? Well, and he also
1: was had admitted, and on you know throughout all of this was saying, "Yeah, I used to take him to the uh, insurance agent. I would drive him around to the bank and the different insurance offices, and yeah, that was my hat." And I can't even tell you where I was that night. I was trashed, you know. Yeah, I mean. He definitely likes her. He's being a huge jerk. Okay, well, anyways, all of these people doing this all lead up to the prosecution's star witness and the testimony that did more than any other to send Eva into old Sparky's electrifying arms. (laughs) There's one other thing happening in the world, okay, at the time of this that gives Eva some hope that she won't be sentenced to death, and that's the campaign to get governor Lehman to spare the life of Anna Antonio the battered mother who hired a man to kill her abusive husband that we talked about in the beginning every day Eva is in jail during the trial she's reading the paper and becoming more and more hopeful that public opinion is being swayed and that Anna will be spared but then on August 9th 1934 Anna is executed by executioner Elliot at Sing Sing and Eva hearts sinks the news hits Eva's trial is set to crescendo and that's when the prosecution's star witness, Martha Clift, takes the stand.
5: Harry was painting. Ava and I drove to get some groceries. We picked up a man in Worcester, and the three of us had a drink. Ava drank liquor. I drank beer. We went back to Eva's place alone about 5.30. Harry Wright was on the back porch. He had finished his painting job. He He wore a blue shirt, some old pants, and a felt hat. Eva called me in her bedroom and told me she was going to take Harry up on Crumhorn on pretense of getting some shrubs. She got an old quilt. I was to drive the car up at dusk and get Harry out of the car. When we got out, I was to light a cigarette for Harry, and Eva said he she would bump him and back the car over him to do a good job. Harry got in the car when Eva said, "Come on, Harry, we're going to get a, uh, we're going up Crumhorn to get some shrubs." Harry said, all right. She made Harry lie in the car and pulled the shade down so nobody would see him. She explained to him that there had been so much talk about secondhand cars and that she didn't want anybody to see him and her. We went to the haunted house. Eva crouched in the front seat on the trip to Cremhorn so nobody could see her. It was twilight. We stopped a minute. She told me to drive in the lane and turn around by the barn and that she and Harry would get out before I turn the car around. I I drove in the lane and stopped Eva. Eva had told me to turn around and that that when it got dark, she would take the wheel and run over Harry and make a good job of it. I was to be with Harry in the front of the car. When I lit a cigarette, it was to be the signal for her to bump him. We sat there and smoked until it got dark. Eva told Harry to get out. We're going to get some little cherry trees, I got ready to drive up the lane and turn around. Ava walked to the door of the house. She stopped at the door, reached inside the room, then walked back toward the car. She was wearing a heavy jacket, partly unbuttoned. Her hands were across her body like she was holding something in the jacket. A mallet. She hit Harry over the head. I, I was in the car, in low gear. I ran over Harry's body. I ran over Harry's body. I turned the car around and saw Eva in the driveway. He was in the driveway, lying lengthwise, his head toward the car. Eva motioned for me to come quick and straddle the body, so I straddled the body with the car. And I wanted to get the trooper, I wanted to tell him about the whole business. I was nervous. You know, I hadn't done anything, and I didn't want to get blamed. Ava picked up Harry's body and put it in the back seat of the car we, we drove down the highway from Crumhorn Mountain And Ava said, I'm tired That was the hardest work I ever did And she said, uh, I wonder if he's dead She called him to see if he was dead Harry, Harry, he didn't answer I said, well, let's we'll take him to a hospital You know, she said, no hospital You drive down to my place and I'll throw him out We came down the hill and she said, Stop. And Eva took out Harry's body and threw it in the ditch. I stayed in the car. We went back to Eva's place. She went inside and she gave me a dollar and said, You better get home now. For God's sakes, don't forget to get rid of that quilt.
0: That is so dramatic. (laughs) Oh, my
1: God. This was the star witness at the most crazy trial going on in the whole country at the time. And that basically the DA, Don Grant, just dropped the mic with that testimony. That's
0: wild. I have two things to say about it. Well, what? Three things.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Damn, Becky. This girl. That's a that was pretty good I mean I know it was the recording that was real but that was good <laughs> okay now second thing yeah. she minimizes everything like and it's so it's so funny listening to people say stuff like oh well under the pretense of getting shrubbery you were yeah. stealing shrubbery <laughs> and then she goes oh yeah. well you know we had. I had to make sure to run over him, him, over this guy, to make sure we did a good job. And then she's like, "Oh, I didn't do anything." And it's like you literally ran him over the yeah. car to make sure he was dead. Yeah. Like I don't like she says over and over again. Yeah. I'm supposed to run him over to make sure we did a good job. And she's like, and at the end, I was so afraid. I mean, I didn't do anything. And it's like <laughs> yeah. you literally said your yeah. job is to make sure he's dead.
1: Well, another thing too is. You know, she, you remember when she said, oh, we took him up to the haunted house. So the haunted house Isn't no that- one called the Scott House on Crumhorn Mountain, the haunted house until the tabloids showed up. And then it was after the Harry's corpse, like uh, confession reenactment thing. Tabloids started calling it haunted house. So she's using that as a way to appeal to the presses.
0: I mean, it's kind of wild because she also calls it the Fink House. Like, I mean, she talks about it being on the hill. Before she calls it the haunted house, she doesn't do it consistently throughout. She kind of drops it halfway yeah, through, right. yeah. which is like, whatever. Yeah. And I want to be like, can the defense just bring up the fact, like, even if you wanted to argue yeah. that they didn't mistreat these women and they didn't keep them up all night interrogating them and they didn't force them to sign confessions. Fine. I think the defense should bring up the guy whose idea it was to dig up Harry's corpse and make
1: them dance it around. Okay, well, before we get to the defense's cross-examination... Put was, a pin in it? Well, yeah, everyone had to put a pin in it. And That was like, that was... Everyone was like, what just happened? Okay? So they had to take a recess. Okay. okay? And Eva went back to her cell that she had been in, but she did speak to reporters while she was in her cell, and this is what she said. <laughs>
7: I never hurt anybody. I ain't afraid of anything but God, and he won't punish me because I never harmed a soul. I'm innocent, all right. A lot of folks may not think I am, but the jury will believe me. If Don Grant can let Martha off with a second-degree plea for what she done, I guess the jury will acquit me. Don't think I'm mad at Martha for what she done to me. I don't know as I blame her, although I wouldn't have done it to her. But I ain't mad at nobody.
6: You still love Harry Nabinger after what he has said against you?
7: <laughs> love him. I love everybody. There's been a lot of talk about investigating Harry in this mess, but I hope they don't drag him into it honest.
1: Boom. So she's already like, Oh yeah. Oh, they want to say that Harry did it too, but I hope they don't like, she's getting nervous. Like she's scared at this point.
0: Yeah. She's scared. I love it. I love that answer. (laughs) Yeah. I love everybody. (laughs) That's your boyfriend, dude. (laughs) Oh, Harry. So do you like, oh, Nick? Nick? Oh, I love everybody. He's fine. He's in the Venn diagram of things I like.
1: (laughs) Okay, so anyways. I
0: love this lady. She's got such a zinging personality. Okay,
1: I know. I know. It's hard to be like, oh, you know calling her a little evil this on you okay so anyways so she's nervous obviously things that was a rough day in court right and that was a rough testimony so after the recess they come back into court and eva's defense does what they can to poke hole in martha's story but the damage is done and everyone knows it. What's worse is that Martha refuses to say anything at all that might paint Eva as anything less than a monster during cross-examination. She really just like doubles down and will not give an inch on anything that Eva could have that could make Eva possibly anything more than a one-dimensional killer. It's very very clear that Martha's job is to set the stage for the death penalty in exchange for her life. So, cross-examination doesn't go well. Court is adjourned, and Eva returns to her cell and again speaks to reporters. Uh, but this time, she's pissed and completely changes her tone about Martha and is basically just threatening to tell secrets about all the men in the county. Please let me tell me she does.
7: If I take the hot seat, I won't be the only one to burn. Why, that girl would have been kicked from one end of the county to the other if I had taken her in and better. Treated her like a younger sister, giving her everything she needed when her own family turned against her because of the reputation her crazy ways gave her. Now look at her. To save her own skin, she makes a bargain with the state to put me on the spot. Talk about blood money. They crowd in here to hear a lot of dirt and sneer at me, they say. There she is, there's that coup woman. They should send her to the chair. That's all she's good for anyway. But I'm not going to sit back and take it without a word. When I take the stand, if the judge lets me, I'm going to show that all the dirt in this county wasn't Little Eva's dirt. My life was as good as theirs.
1: I mean, you know, I don't think she. I think she's got a point. Yeah, spot the lie. Unfortunately, they never let her take the stand. She does take the stand to to answer some questions about the way she was treated during the whole interrogation process. But she doesn't talk about the crime or anything, and unfortunately, she never like sounds off about all the dirty secrets she knows
0: oh come on well she's classy she takes secrets secrets to the grave i think also she she might have real leverage so she might need to like try to keep that leverage as long as she can
1: yeah and she she does okay so anyways that's pretty much how the trial wraps up and the rest of course as we know from the beginning of this episode is history Now, attorney Sonny Jim does make a series of attempts to get the case thrown out, and he brings up a litany of injustices, many of which play a big part in what made warden laws break protocol and speak out against Eva's execution that like we heard in the beginning. Okay. So here's a limited highlight reel of issues that many people feel should have led to the case either being thrown out or at least should have meant Eva wasn't executed. Uh Okay. Here we go. First of all, the jury just couldn't help but be swayed by public opinion in the newspapers. The papers never wavered from the idea that she was a guilty monster and routinely mocked Eva for her looks and behavior and the courtroom itself just Like, often had outbursts of jokes and heckles, sometimes making the judge himself laugh. Number two, all of the evidence that they found on her property and stuff, uh, even though much of it was obtained illegally, was all permitted Mm -hmm. into the court of law. Um, And I didn't really go into this, but this is what you were talking about. A lot of the evidence and detective work actually ended up coming from that insurance company. Mm -hmm. And the implication is just that they were biased. right? Right. That they didn't want to pay it out and the police didn't also like back it up like this whole thing of like Harry getting hit by the car twice and ran over twice and all that. It really just comes from this guy, Dr. Windsor, who's just hired by the insurance company. Right.
0: And you know, probably if this is like 1920s, 1930s ish, literally he's 1935. Not, yeah. I mean, he's probably didn't have to go to school to become a doctor for more than, I don't know, six months. Okay, <laughs> Dr. Okay. Harry Windsor, you can just call yourself
1: that. All right. We're moving on to other issues. Okay. Eva uh, had been held without being charged for four days, a clear violation of her rights. Mm -hmm. Her confessions all should have been thrown out. There was just all these different confessions, and a lot of them had been deemed inadmissible, Mm -hmm. Um, but the confession after the incident with the corpse was admitted as evidence. Mm -hmm. Also, Eva swears she only confessed because she was promised to be spared the death penalty. Ah. The police said we never did that, but she really sticks to that. Uh, going on in general, the theory goes, all these witnesses only spoke out against Eva's character in their own self interest so that their past friendships, you know, with her couldn't be held against them. Mm -hmm. The prosecution also offered no evidence from the scene of the crime. The doctors testified that the blows to Harry's head could not have been the cause of death. Mm hmm and Martha herself admitted to being the one who drove over Harry and was therefore confessing to be the murderer herself. Right. Right. What's more, Martha had a very clear motive for testifying the way she did and the prosecution offered no further evidence to back up Martha's version of events. I
0: feel like the defense did a pretty piss poor
1: job with this. I mean, the thought is is that he did a he did the best he could. I mean, the the thought is is that it was just so weighted against against Eva. That's the point of all of this. Yeah, but if
0: it's all made up and like illegally collected and like clearly the lady who drove
1: him. But over he was trying to get all of this not admitted. He was doing, he was doing everything he could. Uh-huh. He kept saying like the court, like the judge must throw out the case. Like that's how he started like every day. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, he was yeah. like constantly attempting for that to happen and bring up all these things over and over again. Also, it's hard to tell because the papers were so Uh, biased from the very beginning, but a lot of them reported that his cross examinations were some of the most grueling and they would use words like cruel cross examinations they had ever seen. So that might've not helped Eva. That might've made these people seem more sympathetic as opposed to less sympathetic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't for lack of trying anyways is my point. But back to the thing about like nothing else backing up Martha's version of events, like the DA Don Grant had set up his entire case to have Martha's testimony be the cherry on top. And in essence, that was just one person's story of being alone in the car running over a man, still m- most likely alive. Yeah, definitely. He's still, he was still alive. And the only other evidence that went in was. Eva's signed confession that the court admitted that told a different story of events than Martha's story. Yeah, that's scandals. But all of Baird's attempts were to no avail. Oh, you're talking about Sonny Jim? Sonny Jim. Didn't work. (laughs) The jury took two hours to come up with a guilty verdict, and the judge took 0.0 seconds to sentence Eva Koo to death. Martha Cliff took her plea deal for second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 20 to life. She does her 20 years. She re-enters society quietly. We never hear from Martha Clift again. Eva didn't cry when she got the sentence because she didn't want Don Grant to see her cry. Instead, she railed against all the reporters that had printed all the mean things and outright lies about her. So, speaking of how Eva is represented in the press. I found an article from the year 2000 about how if Eva Koo had committed her crime in the modern era, she would have been one of those world's dumbest criminal TV show people, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean?
0: But even that, it's like with Martha's testimony, she literally says she's culpable. Like yeah. maybe the whole thing is made up, but that's bizarre. And also, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and call it. Yeah. I don't think her stupid boyfriend had a bunch of hats lying around. <laughs> like He's a broke, drunk dude. Yeah. Everybody, it's the Depression. He's got one hat. He's like, <laughs> I don't know, man. My hat was gone. <laughs> I just think the whole thing is a crock.
1: Okay, ass. so sticking with the press thing. Okay, an article from 1965 quoted D.A. Don Grant as calling Ivaku a ruthless, hardened murderer. And the writer wrote about how the people in Winona, New York, still talk about how she deserved the chair. Jeez. Um, and You know, uh, I don't know
0: why, though. What? Because all of them weren't at the problem hanging out. They got to make sure they're like always looking over their shoulder and be like, yeah, and she deserved
6: it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's You know, they have to crazy. keep the
0: legacy going in case anybody finds out uh, they find an old picture or something <laughs> like that
1: everyone's hat starts showing up okay and then this guy Mark Gato wrote an amazing book called Death Row Women Murder Justice and the New York Press that really talks about how there's like this whole slew of like famous women I think all executed at Sing Sing I might be wrong about that but I read the um, chapter on Eva Koo and that piece was really good and he just totally dissects how Eva Koo and a handful of these other women were treated in the papers it's a great Great read by Well, Mark what's Gato. the gist? That most of them were considered guilty and headed for the chair before the trial even started. Right,
0: right, right, right. right.
1: That's the gist. But, anyways, while Eva was in prison going through all the appeals process with her attorney, Sonny Jim, mm-hmm. maybe the most dehumanizing, immoral story of all hits the presses. One morning, Eva picks up the Sunday edition of the New York Mirror and finds herself staring at the life story of Eva Koo, authored by none other than Eva Koo. What? And just so we're on the same page, Eva Koo had most definitely not written this piece. I thought
0: you were going to say
1: Eva Koo couldn't write. <laughs> Quit besmirching her, man. I'm not. I'm just, I just thought her. that was
0: what you were going to say. <laughs>
1: I mean, she's probably a cold-hearted killer, but still, you know. Okay, Uh, so she definitely didn't write this piece. Obviously, this rattles Eva, but also the story was basically a hit piece, and she was rightfully terrified that it could really hurt her chances with the appeals board. So Eva brings this up to Warden Lewis Laws, who we heard from in the beginning, who takes it upon himself to investigate the matter. Warden Laws is able to determine that Eva's own lawyer, Sonny Jim, had taken a payment of $3,000 from the New York mirror and smuggled journalist John Kobler into meetings with Eva, tricking Eva and prison officials into believing Kobler was a part of her legal team. It was this man, John Kobler, who had written the article. See,
0: I'm saying, I'm telling you, you can say her defense lawyer was this great guy who did the, best job ever but I don't think he was. No he
1: wasn't. I mean also we know from the beginning (laughs) Warden Laws was like look at the defense she had you know yeah, bunch of crooks. Anyways technically the way Sonny Jim had signed in the reporter when entering Sing Sing meant no laws had been broken Mm -hmm. but it was an obvious unethical mess right and this really kickstarted Warden Laws into being one of the leading forces to grant Eva Koo mercy Uh uh so he was really like we can't kill this woman for all the reasons we went over that that Sunny Jim did bring up in court, and then also the fact that her attorney is like, pretending that this journalist is, a, is a, a working on her case you know, right, I and mean, making right. money off that. Right. Anyway, Eva was given a new defense attorney who kicked and screamed and did everything imaginable to have Eva's life spared, but none of that worked. The people, the public, the presses, the district attorneys, the judges, the appeal boards, everyone wanted this woman to fry for bashing a harmless drunk who loved her on the head with a mallet and then taking <laughs> one of her employees to run him over with a car. Of the 34 witnesses who saw Eva take a seat on old Sparky, journalist Dorothy Kilgallen was absent. She had been present every step of the way. Like I said, she was like the main inspiration for this whole piece. She was there every step of the way during the trial and had avoided indulging in the slander most of the tabloids had banked on. Mm -hmm. Kilgallen did believe... Eva to be a habitual liar Mm -hmm. and most likely guilty, but she had also keenly observed how this town had really turned against her, how they took what she offered both in business and in personal affairs, and then just turned on her basically, and just how her death sentence had little to do with justice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Instead of being in old Sparky's room on the other side of the green door at the far end of Sing Sing's death row on the night of Eva's execution, Dorothy Kilgallen was in a bar with Eva's boyfriend, the still-married father-of-five, Mr. Harry Knoppinger. Now, not many people know this, Muriel, but Dorothy Kilgallen actually recorded her iconic piece, Hooch's Whores and Homicide, but decided against releasing this recording to the public. Okay. But because I'm so impressive, the Kilgallen estate granted me access to the original <laughs> recording she made of the last few passages of this piece of writing. Okay? okay. So... I'll finish this episode where we began it, with Eva's execution, but from a different perspective. Here is Dorothy Kilgallen herself narrating her own writing. This is absolutely not our friend Megan Parks and Randy Thompson, okay? Okay, great. Those two talented voiceover artists have nothing to do with what you're about to hear. Okay. I don't even know why I brought them up. It's okay. weird. You're that's, just like, they're just great. You think, yeah, I love great. Megan Parks great and loves Randy Thompson. Great. Yeah, they're yeah. both amazing actors, very funny people in the comedy scene. We've been doing work with them for years, but I don't you know, know why I'm bringing it up because that's not them at all. This is the real narration of the real Dorothy Kilgallen reading her own work.
4: For four long hours the night Ava died, I sat with Harry Nobinger in the tavern off the Oneida Road. I found him there just after dinner, downing one beer after another. At first he didn't want to talk, but as time wore on, he began talking. And soon, nothing could stop him.
6: Ava was a tough baby. Don't let anyone tell you she wasn't. She killed Harry Wright, and I know it, and you know it, as well as you're sitting there. I know you think I was in on it, but listen, I never knew she meant to do it. You don't believe me, do you? Well, it's the truth, I don't care who believes it.
4: He kept on drinking and talking, drinking and talking.
6: What time's she going?
4: 10 o'clock, I told him.
6: Hell, I don't think she'll go. Something'll happen at the last minute.
4: He kept glancing at the big clock over the bar. The place was loud with music from a nickel player piano.
6: That's Ava's piano. They brought it down here from the roadhouse.
4: Once, he blinked nervously.
6: Ava was the hardest woman I ever met. She was so hard you couldn't believe it. She stole and she cheated and ruined men's lives. She ruined mine. I'm finished. I don't shake your head. I know I'm done for. I can't get a job anywhere. you all think I was in on it with her.
4: He talked on and on as the hands moved at a snail's pace around the face of the clock. At last I got up quietly and telephoned the office. Yes, I was told. Ava was gone. When I came back, Nobinger was standing at the bar. She's gone, Harry, I said. The last words she said were, Goodbye, darling. Nobinger's eyes suddenly looked wild. He shook his head. You're a goddamn liar! I'll kill you!" I ducked and he lunged forward, and Ray Howard, a photographer, and the bartender, George Noble, held Nobbinger back. She's not dead! He kept crying as they struggled with him. She's not dead! At last, exhausted, he went out to the porch and wept. Oh, my God. That
0: was riveting. <laughs> Whoa. That's uh, I wish crazy. I could take credit
1: for it. I wish I had, you know, cast these people and sent them the scripts and told Megan to read the wrong part and all that, you know. That's so good. Edited it together. I wish I could do that. What? Do
0: that. Jeez Louise. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so I got two a, comments.
1: Yeah, okay. One, that's the story of Eva Koo. That's That's it.
0: amazing. One. She was one what did he say? She's a tough baby.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then also, he ruined his own damn life. He has five kids that he left.
1: Yeah. And he's like, oh no, one will give me a job. He's been he was unemployed when they he's never had a job he's for He's never, his never mom. had a job. Yeah. He's just
0: drinks. And he does it's just like, oh, that night I was so drunk. I don't know where I was. And he's trying to say, "Oh, Eva ruined my life. Eva kept you alive." I'm sure. And yeah. you were in your It's just like everybody who has something to say about Eva is just like it's a lot of color and then the substance is always like, "Well, you know, I'm a huge jerk." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I did a bunch of terrible things, but Eva, she's a tough baby.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it just like this is about Eva Cruz Like the murder of Harry Wright and everything. But it's really kind of... An indictment
0: of the town of Oneida?
1: (laughs) Well, I was going to say, yeah, it's a story of the execution of Eva Koo. And it's just like a crazy tale of the death penalty. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. That's wild. What a crazy... That corpse thing is obscene.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's totally obscene. Also, I will say there is a very famous uh, true crime podcast that has a sort of big website component to it and I read their piece about this case and they were wrong about a lot of things and that podcast thinks it's way cooler than us and they said oh they brought the corpse into the courtroom and that worked with the jury and all that and that's not what
0: happened well I will tell you this we are dabbling in some it's not a science it's an art.
1: Oh, this whole true crime <laughs> podcasting thing.
0: It's wild. You'll, I mean, like, I'm sure I've made mistakes. I try oh, not course. to make them, yeah. right? But I'm yeah, sure I've made, made them, of course. right? But then, like, you'll be listening to stuff and people just be making stuff up. It's <laughs> crazy. I don't know if anybody has seen the, what is is the Q documentary? Q?
1: What? About QAnon on HBO? Yeah.
0: And they talk about, like, it's a really cool documentary. It's yeah. very interesting if you want to learn more about whatever I don't know what that extravaganza is, yeah. but one thing they talk about is like how you can self-publish things and then put that, like put something in a Wikipedia article yeah. and then use it as a source to publish something. Yeah, right. And then, then you can just make your own things up. And it's like, so there's a lot of things that you get caught in the echo yeah. chamber of like, I subscribe to a few like academic search engines that are mm-hmm. like people's like academic thesis papers and i think stuff. mark
1: gato's piece that i mentioned actually might be one of those you'll
0: go in there and you'll be like i can't remember what it was it was one thing where i was like that's a really wild fact but i can't find any source yeah that actually has a source there was like one article that said that and they didn't have any source for why they said it yeah and then you'll find it Quoted and requoted in this like hall right. of echoes, this chamber of echoes that are like. Eventually, it just finds its way into like an academic thesis, and I think the the real lesson is: this we're just not as smart as we think we are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I
2: noticed Except too. For you, you're I, yeah, so I'm good at
0: this. Yeah, I know, I know, this I'm is genius.
1: like my favorite episode. Well, one thing I want to say too is you'll see a lot of times this is called the the uh, evacuee and the haunted house murder or something. Uh-huh. The murder a haunted house but that is just taking the tabloids perspective.
5: They
0: love, that is the true thing. Like it's crazy to me how many like black widow cases you'll read and you're like, That was way weirder than a black widow
1: yeah right but it's like what you're saying you read it. it's like modern like most modern day podcasts or like youtube videos on it or something will say like the haunted like it's not the old time like the old timey stuff sure it was had the skewed perspective but then people just take that skewed perspective and apply it to how they're presenting it in modern times
0: oh yeah i mean i'm you know Sometimes it's just people just pick the most fun thing.
1: I mean, I mean, that's literally what I did. I just had my, I was like, this book rocks, you know, Oh, I'll give my, I'll give my resources. So uh, my main one was, uh, uh, hooch whores and homicide by Dorothy Kilgallen from, uh, an anthology of her work murder one. It was great. I was reading it and I was just like, it's so fun. And then, you know, obviously Megan did a great job narrating it. You know, that's like exactly how I imagined her. And she was like, super famous and like sold all these papers and was like nowhere near as trashy as a lot of the other tabloids and stuff. Uh, I forgot if I was connecting thoughts or just saying my references, we have to, I have to wrap this up. My other main reference was (laughs) death row women, murder justice and the New York press by Mark Gato. Interesting. Hey, I have a question. What?
0: I know that, um, there's a conceit about how all of those recordings were, uh, not made up by our friends yeah but did you write the scripts or is the are those no, transcripts no. of the internet?
1: i wrote the tourism ad but all the other stuff is all transcripts from dorothy kilgallen's writing that's amazing yeah. and that tourism ad was pretty great well i got a lot of those facts from mark gato too i then just kind of threw them together and threw them some added some extra spice and you know
0: you were pretty spicy <laughs> you had that up your sleeve That was very good. I like that quite a bit.
1: Well, there you go. That's that's for you,
0: Mary. Okay, big claps. (laughs) I'm gonna make you do more of these. People will be begging for it.
1: Thank you so much to our friends and incredible actors, Randy Thompson, Christopher Corbin, Becky Poole, Megan Parks, and Lindsay Barrow. Uh, We're going to put their social media links in the show notes of this episode. Follow them. You can see them on all types of uh, cool TV shows and commercials and films and on stages in Los Angeles. All of them rock. And it was really great. Thank you. If you... People whose names I just said are listening. Just know, thank you again for you,
0: that it. was incredible. You guys were great.
1: That was fun. Okay. Anyways, uh, I did all the writing and research for this episode. I didn't do anything. I and also, I'm not
0: gonna <laughs> edit it.
1: Yeah, I also recorded it and edited it. So um, you know, when you sign up for the Patreon this week because of this amazing thing, just know you're really helping me, and it's a big <laughs> f you to Muriel. So. <laughs>
0: To help support the podcast and unlock exclusive episodes, you can sign up for our Patreon at wwwpatreon slash Muriel's
1: Murders, something like that. Yeah, but you understand, you how, understand web- how websites work. Website. She can <laughs> never do that for, for <laughs> So often we have to re-record that thing. Anyways, or go to murielsmurders.com slash support so you can figure out all the fun ways to get involved uh, as we grow our show. You can also find us on social media at Murals Murders, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Our DMs are open. You can email us at muralsmurders at com.
0: And remember, we have a voicemail and we love getting voicemails. So yes. if you have something really fun to say or if you're like curious about something or there was yeah. something you were like excited about, yep. like we love hearing that. We love playing that. So Those,
1: That phone number is in the show notes of this episode. Uh, you got to leave a three minute maximum voicemail and i'm pretty sure the voicemail is still hell in your 30s but you'll just, be confused you'll, but just, just send, it'll be fine.
0: send it into the ether and believe me <laughs> we'll get it okay. uh also you know what you can do that would actually really help us rate and review us in uh itunes if you listen through that app yeah uh, i mean it's called
1: apple Podcasts for the last like five years or something, i can't
0: but. stand you i just can't <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, keep whatever behind. it is
0: just review us on that because it boosts us up on the algorithm and the robots are bloodthirsty yes. so you know just make sure to do that if you're enjoying us give us some uh some reviews yeah <laughs> yeah and
1: and share this podcast with your friends send it through the text message post about us online all that really helps us if you're listening on spotify you can review us there add us to a playlist of podcasts you think your friends will like this is a lot of stuff Just, i know i know yeah, how about know. this what
0: you did a really good job and i'm really really proud of you and i cannot wait for you to
1: do this again i well i think i want you to do this like once a month all right let's get into it our music is by mario Castellini. You find him on instagram at cassellini beats that's it i think that's it nick pointed at me <laughs> we're done <laughs>